Hello and welcome to episode 38 of the officially unofficial Death Leopard podcast, Death Leopard. This is part two of our Euphoria review. Euphoria, of course, being Death Leopard's 1999 album. And joining me again, I have Sakis, Carolyn and Johnny. Now, rather than say hello to you all individually, I want to evoke those layered harmonies and amazing backing vocals that we discussed in part one when talking about the song Goodbye. So, and I'll do this as well, on the countdown from three, I'd like you all to harmonize and sing hello to our listeners in the style of Def Leppard backing vocals. Let's see if we could do this. Three, <clears throat> two, one. Hello. 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 Yeah, excellent. Okay. What Lang? If you're looking for a new band, you know where to come. So there you go. Last time you got individual hellos and small talk. This time you've got harmonized Def Leppard. pod. I've got loads of preamble before we get to the opening question. Okay, loads of preamble. More than usual. I'd say it's about five times longer than usual. So I want you to sit back, relax, and then we're going to get to a slightly different type of opening question for you. Before we go through side two of Euphoria, track by track, I first want to look at Euphoria through a different prism, and that prism is that of the Adrenalize album. So I think these are two albums which are worth comparing because they are the albums that bookend the 1990s for Def Leppard. So Adrenalize leads Def Leppard into the decade, where Euphoria leads Def Leppard out of the decade. And they're similar from a point of view that they are classified, as we discussed last time, as being the classic or signature Def Leppard sound. However, there's differences too. Adrenalize was recorded as a four-piece, while Euphoria was recorded as a five-piece, obviously with the addition of Vivian Campbell. They also differ in the fact that Adrenalize was, was created off the back of a similar-sounding and successful album in Hysteria, while Euphoria was created off the back of a change to their style in slang and a bit of a commercial downturn. So the context is quite different, even if the sound is fairly similar, at least in some ways, as we discussed last week. So that's why I think they're worth comparing. Sakis, Johnny, Carolyn, on social media, I ran a poll asking whether people preferred Adrenalize or Euphoria, and I simply asked the question, Adrenalize or Euphoria? Question mark. Now, the result was pretty clear. 78% said that they preferred Adrenalize, whilst 22% preferred Euphoria. Adrenalize, the clear winner. Four out of five cats prefer Adrenalize. So, for this week's opening question, we're going to do something a little bit different. And I've asked each of you to make a case in regards to comparing these two albums. So I've asked one of you to make a case for Adrenalize being superior to Euphoria, one of you to make a case that they are equally good, and one of you to make the case for the 22% that Euphoria is actually better than Adrenalize. So this is going to involve some devil's advocates, I think, for at least some of you. So before we get into 
pitching a particular point of view. I just want to find your heartfelt response to this question. So I will ask each of you the question and find out what you actually think before we go into you making a case for each one. So Sakis, I'll come to you first. Adrenalize or euphoria? Clearly, adrenalize. Clearly, adrenalize. Okay, Carolyn, adrenalize or euphoria? When you asked us on social media, I said adrenalize, but since I've had the opportunity to reevaluate euphoria on this podcast or for this podcast, um, I am actually going to say that I hold them in equal regard. And Johnny, adrenalize or euphoria? I I have to say uh, euphoria, sorry. I think euphoria, definitely. This is very interesting. I take it all back. We are not going to have any devil's advocates here because Saki is, is going to be making the case for adrenalize, which is what he actually thinks. Carolyn is going to be making the case that they are both equally good, which is what she actually thinks. And Johnny is going to be making the case for euphoria, which is what he actually thinks. I take back all claims of devil's advocates. I am as surprised as you, listener. Right. Okay. So Saki, so I'm going to come to you first. You're here representing the 78% of all of humanity who voted in this poll. Massive amounts of people <laughs> voted. If you weren't there, you missed out. You tell us, Sakis, why do you think that Adrenalize is superior to Euphoria? Uh, first of all, uh, it's my third favorite record by our boys. Okay, so having said that, you can understand why I prefer this record over Euphoria, which I love Euphoria, but you know what I mean. Adrenalize has Steve Clark's spirit all over the record, uh, for starters. He may be absent from the recording studio, but uh, he's there. He has six, uh, six songs, co-writing uh, credit. And uh, nothing can beat that, really. You know, uh, Steve Clark was an integral part of the band, and uh, his talent is felt all over Adrenalize. Secondly, of course, we have Matt Lang as an executive producer. I'm uh, laughing right now because I love Matt Lang. Uh, he, may be, he may not be the actual producer, but he was there over the phone, actually. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I love Mike Sipley's approach because he he's actually following Matt Lang's kind of working ethic and uh, production uh, skills. Another uh, argument, uh, Adrenalize came right after Hysteria. So, and it was not equally, but massively successful from a commercial standpoint in an environment that it was hostile towards that kind of music. That's mm. very, very important. If you take aside the Bon Jovi and the Guns, Guns N' Roses, The Flapper was the third band, not in ranking, but in this company of bands that uh, were actually successful in the, in, in, uh, the Grand Sierra in 1992. So that's a huge, you know, uh, achievement for Adrenalize. Uh, speaking of huge, Adrenalize has a huge sounding, it's a huge sounding record. Yeah. I mean, the music industry was still strong and uh, it can afford to spend thousands of dollars in the production studio. Uh, Euphoria has a great sound, but uh, it's nothing compared to Adrenalize. And uh, I'm sure Johnny, who is a musician, can really testify this uh, aspect of the record. Uh, also, the management, I'm, I'm talking about the music industry right now, but it's very important. The management was really, really behind our guys 
on that record. The videos, mm-hmm. the overall aesthetic of the album, uh, the cover. He, they were spending lots and lots of money on promoting uh, Adrenalizing Death Leopard. From a subjective point of view, the songs are better. Another argument. I know okay. that... Uh, <laughs> okay, I know that uh, Neil has its own... You, Neil, has, uh, has said that make love like a man, heaven is... Or, Let's get rocked and stuff like that. I want to touch you. You know, that's not on the biggest, you know, highest ranking of the Def Leppard song, uh, you know, appreciation community, but uh, I love them. And they make love like a man, especially the live version. Let's get rocked. It's definitely a 10 for me. It's a classic Def Leppard song. And it goes on and on. And of course, it has white lightning. But I think Johnny will say that... Uh, we have Paper Sun on Euphoria, so that's a, a good battle. What else? I, I'm talking... So, so for, I have so many arguments about Adrenaline. We have Tear It Down, which is hysteria-related. So anything hysteria-related, it's automatically, instantly, far better than anything else. You know what I mean? So we have Tear It Down. We have six singles. Seven, if you count, I want to touch you. And uh, last but certainly not least, as Neil said, there is a sentimental value uh, about Adrenalize. We all have memories, good memories from Adrenalize. And uh, so, yeah, I love Euphoria, but it can't be compared to Adrenalize. Hope that helps as a case for Adrenalize. It does. In your opinion, what one song from Adrenalize is better than everything on Euphoria? Very, very, very easily stand up. Very, very easily. It's the best song on Adrenalize for me. Lovely case made there by Sakis. Moving on to Carolyn then. Okay, so Carolyn, interestingly, you used to think Adrenalize was better, but you've got into Euphoria more recently, and now you're thinking they have got equal billing in terms of your ranking. Tell, Tell us your thoughts on that. Absolutely. I um, obviously I agree with Sakis. There are there is an emotional component to this record, and it harkens back to Hysteria, which we all love. It's the greatest album ever. But let's not discount what how the band has grown. I mean, literally, we have Vivian Campbell now. How the band has evolved in their writing, that's improved, and the song quality. Um, on Euphoria. And I would argue that, yes, Adrenalize came out at a time when, you know, hard rock kind of was suffering. But what's going on with Euphoria? They're coming back to their true sound. So I think you can hold them up together. Subjectively, personally, I ranked them, the songs, and averaged it out. And they came out with about the same uh, numbers, 7.8 and 7.8. Seven and a half. So they're basically the same, really, for me. I think what happens, um, as far as I'm looking at this, is you have some songs on Adrenalize that are so important. White Lightning, Stand Up, so wonderful. And classics like Let's Get Rocked. But then you also, and I love Tonight, there's a lot of love here. But you also have some tankers for me, including 
personal property is on this album. And I know maybe <laughs> you're looking back and you're thinking, oh, it was fine at the time. It's actually really not. Those lyrics are offensive in whatever this was, 92. They're just gross. Um, I think they should rewrite it. Uh, and it's musically, it's fine. But um, that's a hard pass on that one and a mistake that I don't think they would have made later in life. So there are a you have some really great songs and then you have some really not great songs. Whereas Euphoria, I feel, has a few major songs. Paper Sun, you guys know I love that. Um, we'll talk about it later, but I love To Be Alive. I think it's um, mm. shot out to be one of my top five Death Leopard songs. We can talk about that when we get to the individual songs. But then you have a lot of songs that are just really good on mm. Euphoria. Um, and you don't have tankers to me you know there's a couple obviously we talked last week there's a few that aren't as popular um maybe they're not as good but even though there's 13 tracks on the album i don't feel that there's filler and so they kind of even out with these classics that we all love and then some songs that just aren't i think up to their writing level on euphoria so when i average them out um and i i sort of put them in boxes of how, I know folks can't see my little paper, but you have so many, you have some really good ones on Adrenalize and you have some tanks for me anyway. And Euphoria has a few really good ones and a lot of solid middle ground. So for me, they average out. And um, I think that while music is subjective and we are looking at context and the environment that it came out, it's also important to really look at the songs and how you feel about them and just how they're constructed as well. So I'm going for the nice middle way, like the Buddha said, on these two albums. That's an excellent summary. I did something similar as well and got a similar result uh, to you. Johnny, on to you then. You are representing 22% of all of humanity who voted in the poll. You are going to make the argument that euphoria, the subject matter of this episode and the previous episode, is superior to its early 90s bigger brother or bigger sister? I think, obviously, uh, Adrenalize is a very important album for all of us because it's kind of like the comeback after Steve and so many years between the albums and the gap and what it meant at the time. And obviously, I love Adrenalize. And as you said, Neil, it's this the, the album, the first album that I actually waited for that I, because I was a fan uh, when Hysteria was already out. So waiting for Adrenalize, it was amazing. I mean, when I finally got it and everything. And Euphoria came at a time that there wasn't that much of a hype in that sense for, for this kind of music. Mm. So when it came out, I was very excited about it. Very excited. And... I'd like to present my case from four different <laughs> angles. <laughs> the first one is I think uh, Euphoria is a little superior to Adrenalize because it's a more diverse album. It has a little bit of uh, different kind of different kinds of songs. Okay, it has you have the hard rock, the typical hard rockers that you'd expect from Def Leppard, Promises, which is very uh, photograph like and then you have this new kind of song with back in your face goodbye which is a first song written by you know rick savage and all these things and we have the epic with paper sun we have kind of like this 
as we discussed, the princey kind of funky thing with All Night, uh, a Beatlesque song with It's Only Love. Then we have a glam kind of influence with 21st Century uh, Shalala Girl. Then another ballad, a very different kind of ballad with To Be Alive. We have an instrumental. We have a very pyromania track with Day After Day. Then this fast tempo um, Kings of Oblivion. I think it's a very diverse album musically which makes it very interesting as much as i love adrenalized to death i think it's uh an album that has that's very um coherent in a sense that it's, it's very uh, i don't know linear is not the word i'm looking for but i know i don't know if you guys kind of like get what i'm trying to say it has kind of like this thread or this line going oh. through it it's not as diverse musically i think the second thing is uh, the sound of the album has some changes in it. Whereas in Adrenalize, for example, the drum sounds are always the same drum sounds. We have different kinds of drum sounds in Euphoria. Back in Your Face has a different kind of uh, snare drum and um, All Night has this kind of like very open sounding drum sound. It's same as with uh, 21st Century Shalala Girl. All these, it has a very diverse uh, sound within the drums and within the guitars sounds also so it's it, it's kind of interesting you know listening to all mm. these different little colors and everything ben has an interview with pete woodruff when he's discussing the production for these albums in his channel and it's really interesting especially for us you know sound geeks we're always looking for these kind of like little details and stories and everything and Adrenalize, I think, was recorded with Rockman, which is the same thing as Hysteria, which is great. It has that sound. But this album has a very different kind of sound. It doesn't sound like the typical Rockman. It has other stuff. And mm -hmm. I remember seeing a picture of Joe in the studio with a uh, leopard mug and just kind of like listening to something at the time. And you could see that they're using all these types of different amps in there and everything. It was a really cool picture. The next one is the songwriting aspect. I think the songwriting aspect is really, really strong in this album. Same as Adrenalize, I would put them apart here, but I do think that they're branching into different kinds of avenues with the songwriting style. Goodbye, um, To Be Alive, 21st Century, Chalala Girl, It's Only Love. There's things that are different in this album that they're starting to explore different avenues, which are very present in today's Def Leppard sound. Uh, obviously, they're coming from slang, which is the opposite end of the spectrum. But this album is coming back to the sound with a little more. And mm -hmm. the songwriting style is always um, is always uh, fueled by or I, I, I would like to say there's some stuff from Mutt Lang, which I totally agree with. Sakis. I mean, everything that has Mutt Lang is, is just perfect, you know, and but there's also the contribution of um, of Vivian. And, you know, there's there's a lot of diversity in this album in the songwriting style which is excellent and one thing that i think is very underappreciated or just goes through everyone's mind is the production value on this album i do think that adrenalize is a larger sounding album it's more uh, cohesive and it has kind of like this unified sound throughout the whole album but the production on this one is really cool all these little details it does bring the hysteria and adrenaline sound in, but it adds all these different little flavors. And I think Pete Woodruff did a an excellent job on the production on this album. It's great. I mean, he not only replicated the 
the Mutt Lang style, but he also added these whole new things. And I think this is the first album where Ronan McHugh actually also participates as an engineer, mm. which is now a common theme in all Def Leppard albums. But I think this is a very, very cool album in its production value. It has a whole lot of stuff. We'll talk about it in, in a little while, but Disintegrate is not the same instrumental as uh, Switch. It has a whole bunch of you know sequencing and all these sounds and yeah. there's all this kind of stuff that was present in Adrenalize and in Hysteria, but now it's going into this newer age of you know of production value where there's a little more sequencing and all these uh, different things that are a little more modern. So it does have that sound, but it's still um, going forward in, in production value. So that's why I plead my case for Euphoria. Obviously, I mean, and I, when this album came out, I played it all the time. <laughs> I played it all the time, the same as Adrenalize. So they kind of like have this, um, obviously they're both special to me, but I do think that Euphoria is a little bit better than, than Adrenalize. Three of you have blown me away there. Do you know why you've blown me away? It's because I agree with all three of you, <laughs> which I don't know if that's possible when you've got three different points of view, but I think all of the points that all of you have made are completely valid. So, Sakis, it's really down to you. Are we going to take these differences and are we going to hold hands around the world? Or do you want to meet everyone in the pub car park for a fight? <laughs> Um, let's go for a fight. Okay, you want to fight? <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. so right, everyone, we'll we'll meet after we'll meet after this episode for the fight in the car park of the Boundary Pub. Yeah, the Boundary Pub was a terribly rough. No, no, the Eagle and Child. That was a terribly rough pub in Liverpool. It's been knocked down now because it was terribly rough. So yeah, we'll go to the old site of the Eagle and Child in Liverpool for our fight after this i'm just gonna stand on the sides because i'm a lover not a fighter so there you go right we will now go track by track we will use the same system as we did last time i won't go through a big introduction explaining the system that we're using or not to the same extent that i did last time if you never listened to part one euphoria just go back and listen to it, it saves me having to explain everything again but essentially to demonstrate to what extent they want to talk about the song that we are going to discuss each of our guests today will say red light yellow light or green light go red light means they're not that fussed about talking about it leave me alone yellow lights got a bit to say about it green light i've got lots to say about it it will all become apparent so we're on to side two of euphoria and the first song on side two of euphoria i'm laughing before i say this because already i'm panicking about getting the number of lars right in this okay so it is 21st century sha la 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 girl it was written by phil collin joe elliott and rick sav savage i've got a little teeny bit of background to this Okay, it's according to Phil, this song was pivotal in the making of Euphoria. Phil says, and I quote, it's such a fun song. Joe and I had the idea to make it quirky and tongue-in-cheek using modern drum programming, but really over-the-top guitars and way-over-the-top vocals in the chorus. That was the song that set the tone for the album. 
Just going round each of you, let's find out how much you want to talk about this song. Carolyn, are you red light, yellow light, green light, go? She's green light, go. I am green light, go on this one. Oh, excellent. Sakis, what about you? I will go with yellow light. Okay, and Johnny? I'll go with green light, go. Green light, go. Green light, go, yeah. Okay. Carolyn, let's start with you. Green light, go on 21st century. Sha, la, 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 girl. Okay, um, it might not be people's favorite song on the album, but I actually really like this one. I think it's catchy, um, maybe because I'm something of a caffeinated satellite myself. Um, but I really, I like it, you know, in the morning, put it on, driving to school, doing whatever. It's catchy. I like it. Also, I think it's fun that it harkens back clearly to 20th century boy. 20, um, with T-Rex, which is obviously so important to the band because that song is where Diamond Star Halos comes from, right? Mm-hmm. So it's obviously something that they were having fun with. And again, we start to see the the, pro, the glam proto influences coming out. And, you know, it's just a kind of a catchy, fun song that I enjoy. I wouldn't turn it off when it comes on. Lovely summary there. Yeah, and I was... I was thinking the same thing as as well as musically being that 1970s glam influence on here with Back in Your Face. This is where they start showing it in other ways. So, for example, exactly like what you just said, the 21st century girl, obviously opposite to the 21st century boy. Okay, a fun song, pivotal to the making of this album. Johnny, what do you think about it? I think it's great. I think I, it's a great song. Uh, I completely agree. The lyrics are just... This the essence of it doesn't matter if it makes sense. It just needs to sound good. And it's a fun song. Um, I love the backing mm-hmm. vocals in the middle section are just incredible. I think that it's one of their best work when it comes to backing vocals, because there's voices coming in and out. And then the fire. And it's just when you listen to that on headphones, it just it it's not dark side of the moon, but it takes you. Uh, just all over the place. Great. I think it's an awesome song in that sense. And it's very fun. And that first little riff is, um, well, it, it just, you know, being a side B, I bought this in a, in a CD format. And so I didn't get the experience of having, you know, side A and side B. But you can tell right away that after It's Only Love, if this is the first part of the B side and it comes out really, really strong. So I think it's a great song to start off the second side of the album. And it's, it's just catchy. It's fun. I I love it. I love it. I know that I said yellow light, you know, uh, but I love the song because it's the sister song of uh, Back in Your Face. So instantly, it's a you know a win-win situation for me. Although I think that it is a little bit inferior to Back in Your Face. I love the verse of Twenty uh, First Century. Skip the rest of uh, Salalala, you know, and uh, I love the fact that the boys are paying tribute to T-Rex, which I love. And by the way, uh, this is 
together with Back in Your Face, this uh, song, uh, together with Back in Your Face, have ignited my love, I wouldn't say infatuation, my love for glam, the glam rock era of, uh, you know, UK in the early 70s, David Bowie, Gary Glitter, Slade, all that stuff. And I went to my local record store and bought some albums and that started the whole ball rolling for me regarding the glam rock era, which I still listen a lot to. So, yeah, I love the song, although, having said that, it's a little bit inferior to Back in Your Face. One production thing that I really like in this song is on the, in the verse, it's the bass. So the bass is just like a single note. Now, I've got two pairs of headphones. I've got these little rubbish ones, right? And when I wear these, I'm holding up little headphones, everyone. When I wear these little headphones, I can't hear what I can hear when I've got these on. And if you listen to it on decent headphones, the bass sounds like it's being tuned down to something like, like really low and it's like slapping off the bass, like it's gone boing, boing, like everywhere. I don't know if it's got some effect on it, but it's really cool. Then the next song is To Be Alive. Written by Vivian Campbell, and it says on the record Smith, which is a PJ Smith. So the reason that it's written by Vivian Campbell and PJ Smith is that this was a song originally recorded by Vivian's side band, and it was the band that you mentioned last week, Johnny, which is Clock, before it was, and I quote, leopardized. I know you don't believe it like I believe it. Oh no, not your fault. You sit alone inside a room, wait for the world to come to you. They never tell. Carolyn, I think I know what you're going to say because you already intimated it earlier, but what level are you in terms of wanting to talk about this song? Green Light Go again. Green Light Go. Sakis, what about you? Green Light for sure. Green Light for sure for Sakis. And Johnny? Oh, yes. Green Light. Totally. (laughs) All right then. Okay. If I was talking about this as well, I would also say Green Light. I think this is an absolute stonking song so carolyn tell us what you think about it and why well i want to start by saying thank you neil because i don't think i knew or was as familiar with this song maybe i heard it earlier on but this is a song that i feel kind of later in life you have some life under your belt it really resonates and i think it's probably gone up to one of my favorite Def leopard songs which as you guys may know is saying something and I, I love a Viv song, actually. Um, mm. I like a lot of the songs that he's written for the band, and I find out later um, when I look them up. But I think this is just an incredible, moving song. Uh, the lyrics are great, but also the music just carries me away, and I absolutely love it. So thank you for giving me this opportunity to re-explore this album, because now this is on my daily playlist, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a true favorite. What do you think this song is about, Carolyn? Well, we know that the band was going through a lot when this album came out. And so there might have been a reason that they chose it, to, even though it was written before. But, um, you know, Vivian's gone through a lot. Everybody's been going through things. And to me, uh, what it means, I'll just say what it means to me is mm-hmm. no matter what's going on, we're here. 
and we're alive and um, just keep going. So I find it very inspirational. That's what I took out of it as well. It's a very positive, life-affirming song. Brilliant song. Brilliant song. I think it's... Uh... If you think about it, uh, I was thinking of that uh, the other day, and uh, speaking of the diversity that Johnny uh, mentioned earlier, I would say that to be alive, it's a little bit representative of that diversity of the whole euphoria, you know what I mean, atmosphere, mood. Because to be alive, it's not the typical Def Leppard ballad, you know. Mm. It's not uh, uh, the huge-sounding Leppard ballad, although it has that element, but you know what I mean. It's not like Goodbye or you know, guilty later on. But uh, I truly believe that uh, it has a very, very important meaning for the band. As Carolyn said, it's it's like saying, come on, guys, we're still here. After the commercial, I wouldn't say failure of slang, let's tell the boys that we're here again. And mm-hmm. uh, speaking of the band Clock that perfectly John captured in the previous episode, it's a typical, it's typically, it's a, it's a cover song, you know what I mean? But it's leopardized, as you said. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would say that uh, I love to be alive. And in my mind, in my twisted little mind, that I always connected that song with Mission and Heartbeat in the way that, uh, in the manner that uh, Mission and Heartbeat was also came after uh, the version of The Law, the band The Law that featured Paul Rogers. Yeah. A year before the, uh, two years actually after Mission uh, Heartbeat released in Retroactive. So yeah, Mission Heartbeat came right after the Lost version and uh, uh, To Be Alive came after the Clocks version. So there you have it. And it's interesting because you said, some, you said something and uh, it's the second time we've said it on this album, which is it's not a usual Def Leppard ballad, which I think starts to peel back some of the reasons why this album is really good because you've got Goodbye, you've got the big power ballad, then you've got It's Only Love, which we said was a different type of song for Def Leppard at this time, and then we've just said the same with To Be Alive. So we've got three ballads, but they're all very different types of ballads. Johnny, when you listen to To Be Alive, what are the highlights for you? Uh, the lyrics are incredible for this for this song. I mean, all that part when it comes into the to the chorus uh it must be some you know pre-chorus it must be somebody holding your heart something that tears us apart and every time i touch i don't know it's just the, the flow of that lyric and what it says it's really it's really cool it's very uplifting it's not as you said it's not your typical heartbreak ballad it's kind of it's very uplifting in in words and um i think that it it goes for a very love bites production angle um it has kind of like that little loopy thing on the drums. And then it has a very distinctive riff that I played, but I, uh, you know, the sound (laughs) of my guitar, (laughs) I think it's great. It just, it's very, very cool. It's very smooth and it just drives you into the song. It's kind of like opening a door and laying this, you know, this, whatever, how how do you call these Um, a mat, you know, and just invites you into the song very beautifully and that little riff goes throughout the song and the verses and then when it comes into the solo viv solo it comes in in the background the same as in love bites this little riff that has you know over uh, under another steep solo and i think i know vivian campbell is known for he's a very very virtuoso player especially in the legato kind of like technique but this little solo 
is just with a simple slide guitar sound and there's two guitars answering each other and how they match. It's awesome. I think it's great. Very simple, but extremely effective. You don't need to have a million notes to make it something impressive. And this just, it, the feeling of it is great. I, I love this song. It's, it's one of my favorite too. One of my favorite Def Leppard songs. I'm glad you mentioned the solo. And what you said about it is exactly what I was going to say. It's really understated. And it's a very much a case of less is more. And when I listen to it, it really reminds me of a Brian May type solo in later 80s and early 90s Queen, where they just have like these like long notes held. If you added up all the notes, it's probably only like seven notes. Absolutely fantastic. And the last thing I would say about this is, you know, in the chorus, all I want to do, you know, because every time you want it, all I want to do is just put my hands in the air and just swing them <laughs> left to right and just turn around and hug you all and tell you, I love you guys. You know, it's just, it's that type of song. It's just a cool song. Oh, I was just saying, it's very meditative. It's almost a mantra, that song, you know, with the yeah. with Johnny, with the way you're describing it, it occurred to me that it's just like that. So I could talk about it forever, but it's time to move on. Moving on to a very different song in many ways. The next song is Disintegrate, which is an instrumental written by Phil Collin. It was originally known as a song called Spanish Sky, um, which this song evolved from. So Spanish Sky was a ballad that Phil Collin was writing, but then he took part of it and then it evolved into this song. If any one of the three of you want to tell me which bit you think is the bit that was called Spanish Sky, let me know, because I think there's one bit where you can really hear a song called Spanish Sky in this. An instrumental, I think it's the first instrumental on an album that we've had since 1981, Switch 625. There has been another instrumental, which was SMC, S.M.C. which was a B-side to either something off Adrenalize or it might have been a B-side that's two steps behind. SMC standing for Steve Maynard Clark, but that was just like a little acoustic thing that Phil played. It was nowhere near as developed and as proper a song as Disintegrate. How much is there to say about a song with no words? Let's find out. Carolyn, are you red light, yellow light, or green light go? I'm red light. I'm going to defer to my co-host, or not co-host, my co-guests here who probably have more to say about it than I do. We are all co-hosts here. We all have equal billing. Saki's red light, yellow light, or green light go? Green light. Green light, yeah. Okay. And Johnny? Green light go. All right then. Okay. So Saki's, I'll come to you first. I don't love uh, Disintegrate. I really, really like Disintegrate. It has a sentimental value again because it's an instrumental and my all-time favorite instrumental song is, yes, you guessed it, right? Uh, six, uh, Sweet Six to Five. So yeah, uh, I always made the connection with that song. So also being a huge, huge Maiden fan, I love this dual, you know, twin guitar thing that their boys are incorporating between Viv and Phil. 
It's not that, uh, uh, you know, it's really rare to hear that twin guitar assault by the guys. You know what I mean? They play, they, they have the change solos, but they don't play quite often this, uh, twin guitar thing. So I love this in the grade also for this aspect of the song. And it's also quite fitting, uh, right before guilty. You know, I think it makes a, a great bridge towards guilty. So mm. yeah. Okay, cool. And Johnny, you mentioned earlier about sequencing. I think there seems to be quite a bit of that in this song. Would you agree? Oh yeah, quite a lot. The whole intro, this uh, the 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 main riff is very chopped, very edited, and then there's these loops coming in like all these, which is more adequate to the times to to at that time period. Uh, that sequencing is is very much uh, a part of that, and these that riff is very chopped. You can hear that it was like played once and then looped and sampled and everything. Uh, okay. Yeah, you know, the main riff, it, this is a very interesting instrumental because it's not, the base of it is not a complicated thing. The same as with Switch mm. 625. I mean, it's a very simple riff. Very simple. And then the second part goes to this kind of like very typical leopard sounding. And they're very simple riffs, but they're really effective. I mean, they're very upbeat and it just inspires you to just jam whatever you can on top of that. You know, when you're a guitar player, it's just like really fun to jam on top of that. And you can tell in this song that they had a lot of fun with that. And as to, to answer your question, as this, the part where the Spanish, there's a whole Spanish vibe on this song, even though it's very rocky, it has kind of like that, um, I don't remember the name of the scale. I think it's a, I don't remember, it's a melodic minor. I don't remember, but very, or I don't know what mode it is, but I can't remember, but it has this kind of like flamenco Spanish vibe all around the song. But there's this part where the, the whole band stops and you can hear mm. the acoustic guitar doing these typical, kind of like this typical Spanish progression. And then at the end, you have this which is very Spanish sounding. It kind of like reminds me a little bit of Ring of Fire, the intro riff to Ring of Fire. But I, I really like this song. It's uh, it's great. I mean, it's it's something fresh. You know, it was great to have another instrumental that they could also jam. I'd like to see them play it a little more, you know, even though I agree with Saki's switch is amazing and every time i listen to it live it's it's perfect and it you know comes after heartbreak and everything so it's it's great but i'd like to listen to this song a little bit more live because it, it is very strong and the guys you know vivian and, and phil playing off each other and this dueling thing is is great it's an interesting and um, very energetic instrumental i've definitely seen death leopard live where they played this as the song before they came on so when the lights are still up, before the lights go down. So you know, like on the stadium tour, they were playing. This sounds like there's a Def Leppard version of Heroes out there that maybe we'll hear one day. And there's been other songs. They've definitely played Disintegrate before they've come on. Joe Elliott actually uses it as well. I don't know if you have access to it, but there's a radio station called Planet Rock here. And at five o'clock, in fact, in about five minutes, it'll be on. Joe has a one-hour show on um, Planet Rock and his theme music is this is disintegrate so to be honest when i hear it now i hear it mostly as like a jingle for his 
radio show. So it's a little bit weird when I hear it on the album because I just I just imagine I'm about to hear Joe's voice going, "Hey, what's up, Planet Rock?" Blah blah blah, <laughs> and, and all of this. And so it, it reminds me, it reminds me a lot of that. But it's interesting what you said about the sequencing in particular because I don't know if you have heard of this artist. I don't know if he's a worldwide artist or whether it was just here in the UK. But that first twelve seconds. It's really quite like manic and almost sounds like quite radical. It sounds like something like there was an artist here called Aphex Twin in the early noughties, late nineties, which was just like really frenetic dance music that was like really just quite like out there and quite wild. And it almost sounds like after the first 12 seconds, you're about to go into some sort of like drum and bass song or something, but then that doesn't happen because you come in with a more standard rock beat. But I think the first 12 seconds of this are like really, really different. You forget how different it is once the rest of the song kicks in because it then sounds like a bit of a normal Daft Leopard song. I've got something for you here that I'm going to show you. And this is about euphoria and guitars. And I thought the guitar instrumental would be a good time to talk about it. Def Leppard don't do this on every single um, album. Although they did do it on the Def Leppard EP. But what I think is interesting for euphoria is... If you get the CD inlay or the sleeve or what have you, for every song, there is a symbol which tells you who does the solo in that song. So whether it be a red rose for Phil or whether it be a shamrock for Vivian, on each song, they've gone out of their way to tell you who does the solo on this song. And on some of them, both of them do the solo as well. So it's interesting to me that Slang is the sort of rock, raw album. Even though they've gone to a classic signature Def Leppard sound, they very much want to they want to flag up all of the guitars in this, don't they? And not just in terms of what you're listening to, but when we bought it at the time, look at all of the guitars. Look, there's two solos in this song. There's a Shamrock and a Rose. They both have a solo. So they seem really keen on making it clear that this is a guitar album and there's probably more guitars in this album than there was maybe in Adrenalize, for example even though there's something similar. That's my working theory anyway. Guilty, all of this song. Written by Phil Collin, written by Rick Savage, written by Vivian Campbell, written by Joe Elliott, and written by Pete Woodruff. So another song like Paper Sun, wasn't it, where lots of people contributing to the writing of this song. Carolyn, are you going to be red light, yellow light, green light, go? Yellow light. I don't think you can see it so well, but I'm yellow light for this one, and I do love this song. Thank you very much, Sakis. Like Carolyn, I love the song. I absolutely love the song. I would go with green light, although I don't have many, many things to say about it, but yeah, green light. Cool. And Johnny? Green light, I'll go. Oh, okay, I, I love this song. This is one of my favorite songs on this side, uh, and it it's 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 very different in the sense that um it has this kind of like stand-up vibe to it um very much so but what i find really interesting about this song is that uh, it's an upbeat kind of like ballady thing you know as as i said with uh, stand-up also but it's very the first time i heard it it really knocked me out because the intro the intro 
drift and getting get in all that little that first riff and everything it's kind of like a very a little hysteria like and everything but it's in the key of i think it's in the key of c okay so it, it's in a, in a specific key the intro and then right off the bat when it goes into the verses it switches key to yeah, okay. an e key so it that is not normal you normally have a song that is always on the same key to make it sound you know Okay, but this one just completely hits you with the verse changing keys. And then it goes back to the key of, of C in the um, in the chorus. And it then switches back again and, you know, back and forth, which is very hard to accomplish without it sounding weird or kind of like uh, it bums you out sometimes. You know, these key changes have to be made with some delicacy with, um, you know, you have to be very smart or it has to feel natural. And I think in this case, it sounds really cool because you have the intro part and you kind of get the, the 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 understanding of the song and then it, boom, guilty of sin, it changes the mood right away. That change, I think it's a C sharp minor chord when it goes into the verses, and then it goes back to the chorus with a G. The first time I heard it was, this is great. I mean, it's different. It's a different kind of approach to writing this song, and I think they pulled it off really nice. It kind of like sounds like they were two different ideas, you know, and someone brought them and said, oh, let's see if we can put them together, and they work, and they certainly did work. And I know this is a song that a lot of people like, mm -hmm. Guilty, and... Um, I don't know. It was. I just thought it was. That was very smart, and it's a, a song that I enjoy quite a bit when I listen to it. Johnny, I love being on the show with you. Thank you for articulating what that is <laughs> about this song, because it does feel like there's two things going on here. The lyrics seem to be saying one thing, but the sound of the song is also something else. Because he's guilty, but it's like. I'm here for you, but I did a bad thing. I'm going to do it again. But it's all, and there's something so compelling about it. Um, but it has that funny key change where you think it's going to go one way and the whole song goes a different way. So thank you for articulating that much better than I could. But um, <laughs> yeah, I do love the song. So thank you for that. Yeah, Johnny was put on. Okay. Uh, I love the song. Uh, it has all the elements that every Leopard fan loves about this band you know it's like some that let me say this that if you don't like guilty then you don't like the flippard simple as that it has all the elements that this band offers to the music world picture this uh, we the greek people and as the italians as the mexican you know all the latin or stuff like that uh, are very expressive with our body language and uh, when I first uh, listened to the to Euphoria album back in 1999, there were three songs that I went, yeah, this is my favorite band in the world. And this was the song Promises, Back in Your Face for me, and of course Guilty, which I said instantly, yes, the boys are back, especially after Slang. Yes, we all love Slang, it goes without saying, but okay, we love the great sounding Classic leopard sound, okay? Albums. So yeah, Guilty, it's my second favorite song on the album, right after Promises and right behind uh, uh, Back in Your Face. So yeah, 
I love it. And are you happy with that comparison to stand up, kick, love into motion? Yeah, totally agree. Totally. It's, you know, tell me what, stand up is, like I said, it's my favorite song from Adrenalize. This mid tempo kind of songs from mm-hmm. the Death Leopard catalog, I'm totally in love with this type of songs, you know, this big, huge mid tempo songs. I always uh, wrote in my reviews in the, the magazines that I work for that uh, it's not that uh, hard to write a, a fast song or even a slow song. The magic comes from the mid-tempo mm. songs. Yeah. And uh, both stand-up and guilty has that special magic. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's like in Diamond Star Halos. It's like all we need is the mid-tempo classic Def Leppard song, yes. isn't it? They have a real knack and a skill for writing that type of song. They never seem to mess up that type of song. They always get that right. And they do on Euphoria with the song Guilty, which moves us on to the next song, Day After Day, written by Phil Collin, written by Joe Elliott, and another one where Vivian Campbell has a writing credit. It's Green light, go on this one, please. Green light for me too, yeah. Same here, green light, go. <laughs> Everybody wants to talk about day after day. Well, when we were, when I was preparing, I was thinking, you know, we have live shows coming up again, yay. And I was thinking about what from Euphoria would I want to hear live, maybe that I haven't, um, other than the obvious promises situation. I would love to hear day after day live. I find that solo that comes in the middle of the song. There is something so compelling and powerful about it. I just, I don't know if they ever would do this live. I don't know if they're gonna take my suggestion under advisement but um yeah i just it's got that powerful song um all the things that we like as fans um but there's something about it that i would love to hear i think if promises has the distinction of being the most representative song of euphoria i say that day after day is the most underrated song of euphoria uh, again in my mind because my mind always plays tricks and stuff like that like I said in the previous episode, uh, I think that Like It's Only Love, where it's uh, the bridge between the X album and Euphoria, for me at least, uh, Day After Day has this subconscious bridge between slang and Euphoria. Not uh, specifically for its sounds, yeah, the sounds is, is huge, not, nothing like slang, or, uh, or the backing vocals and stuff like that. But the lyrics and the overall mood, at least for me, has this, have this uh, slang effect on the whole song. Again, not musically related at least, but the whole atmosphere of the song. And again, it's, I think it's a song that it's, it goes unnoticed. Maybe it has to do with the fact that it's only for us, like hard fans. Maybe it's the fact that it's the 12th song on the track list. I think it's a great song. 
it's the most Steve influenced uh, song in this album. The riffs are very reminiscent of Pyromania in a sense. They're, yeah. they're simple riffs and everything, but this the whole intro, dun, dun, and then there's a little riff coming in in the verse, dun, 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 which is very uh, I don't too late for love ish, something like that. The sound, the riff in, in it, it's not you normally when you play a power chord, you play the first note and the fifth. But this one is using the first and the third, or the mi the major, third or minor in this case. So it, that's very uh, pyromania-ish sounding, I think. And um, the little verse, no, sorry, the riff in the pre-chorus, it sounds very, um, very, very pyromania, very, I don't know, all those songs, you know, Die Hard Hunter or even Too Late or, or the, that type of riff kind of sound. So I think this is a very, uh, the riffs were very consciously made to sound in, from that kind of era of songwriting in Def Leppard uh, world. And it brings Steve to mind right right away, you know, even though it was written by uh, Phil and, you know, you know, we have Vivian contributing to this song also. So mm -hmm. it's uh, kind of like, bringing that old or that classic leopard um songwriting style to the to the fold you know i think it's a great song great great song i've got exactly the same thing on my notes as well i've got the most pyromania song on euphoria and not only does it remind me of songs of pyromania it reminds me of one of the songs that they might have written just after pyromania when they started writing hysteria but then decided that it sounded too much like pyromania and wouldn't use. So say something like Ring of Fire or something that turns up on retroactive like Fractured Love. Day After Day sounds very much to me like a song that might have been written the day before or the day after, excuse the pun, um, that they wrote Fractured Love. It sounds <laughs> very, very similar. I absolutely love it as well. And I think that's what's great about Death Leopard is me and Carolyn have talked before in the past about some of the people who might only like the first two albums and then think that none of that sort of stuff is repeated anywhere else or they might have stopped listening after Pyromania. You listen to the rest of Death Leopard's catalogue, if you want to find it and don't just decide that it's all rubbish. There's loads of those songs that remind you of Death Leopard's history that is littered all throughout the catalogue from after Adrenalize all the way onwards. And I'd say Day After Day is one of those where a lot of people who say that they don't like Def Leppard anymore and, you know, whatever, they sold out or whatever, but they like High and Dry, they like Pyromania, go and listen to Day After Day. And trust me, if you keep your heart and spirit open, you will like it. Let Def Leppard back into your lives, everybody. That's what I would say. I just think you made a, another, a furthered our case for them playing it live. Get those other fans into some fairly newer stuff, you know? I've got a little bit of information about the final song on the album, which is Kings of Oblivion. I will give you that bit of information in a minute. Before I do, let me just see what your appetite is for talking about this song. So, Carolyn, Kings of Oblivion, red light, yellow light, green light, gold. Yellow light. Lovely. Sakis? Green light, gold. Johnny? I'm green light, gold for every song on this side. <laughs> Okay, right. So, Sakis, I'm coming to you first, and I'm going to come to you after I give you a little bit of a Joe quote, because um, I'm now relying on, because if you first to some bands that I don't know much about, so I am relying on your expertise 
as a rock metal journalist. No pressure here, okay? So Joe says that Kings of Oblivion was inspired by the heavy sound of the 1970s. So not the, not the glam sound, but the heavy sound of the 1970s. And he says, and I quote, it's a great classic rock song. It harks right back to the days of Uriah Heep, Wishbone Ash, and Lone Star. Mm-hmm. My question to you is, Zach, is, does it? <laughs> Most definitely for Uriah Heep, yeah, I would say, yeah, and Lone Star. I don't hear many elements of, uh, you know, Wishbone Ash, but uh, I could hear Wishbone Ash, especially with this the great, you know, the twin guitar theme. Which which Bonas was famous for, but uh, yeah, you're right. He most definitely, especially the David Byron era, uh, not the John Lotton era, David Byron era, the classic era of Uriah Heep, and Lone Star for sure. And I think Joyce, uh, you know, as is the music encyclopedia of the band. So yeah, I think he's right. Like I said, for Promises being the most representative song of uh, the album and uh, day after day the most underrated song of the album, I think that Kings of Oblivion is the most adventurous song on the album. Yeah. You know, because it doesn't follow a specific pattern, musical pattern at least. Uh, it goes all over the place, but it still has that Def Leppard quality stamp, trademark uh, sound, you know what I mean? Even the guitar sound, the guitar solo and stuff like that is kind of unusual. And the lyrics too. You know, it, it, it's so diverse, but so Def Leppard. Like Euphoria, it kind of sums up the whole vibe of the album. You know what I mean? Uh, it balances in between the two worlds. Uh, the world of Def Leppard, the classic world of Def Leppard, and the world of uh, experimentation, uh, you know, diversity of uh, the album. So I love Kings of Oblivion, especially the verse. You know what I mean? Mm. And the chorus, okay, I have heard uh, better choruses from the band, but let's just stay and uh, let's just stay to the verse and the whole diversity of the song. So yeah, I love the song. Sakis loves the song. Carolyn, do you love the song or do you not mind the song or do you hate the song? What are your thoughts on the song, Carolyn? Oh no, I'm just medium on the song. It's good, but there's so uh, euphoria is so rich that it's one of these things like that. It can be like, oh, that's a really good song, and it's still a little lower on my favorite songs of the album. I like, I really like this song, and as you guys are saying, I, I like um, this element of, as you were saying, uh, Saki's kind of like this exploration and everything, and kind of like that where they're going with it. And it, to me, it kind of reminds me a little bit of. On through the night, high and dry ish, in the sense of maybe kind of like me and my wine, because this fast tempo thing, and even on through the night from high and dry, uh, kind of like that driving riff, very fast, and and it sounds epic. It's a fast song, but it still sounds epic in that sense. So it's a really nice way to close off the album with a song in this type of you know it's not like a song a slow song that's kind of like taking it away or whatever it's very fast it's very um energetic and i 
I agree. I totally love the verses on this song. The verses are amazing and how Joe is uh, phrasing and how he comes in with a high note on the right side and he comes down and, you know, how he's driving that that riff with his voice and everything. I I, I totally love this song. It's um, it's a great way to close the album. And I think it it even though it's the a, a long album it never felt like this song being the last one was kind of like a filler like uh i, I don't want to listen to this uh, it, it doesn't it just really makes you want to listen to the whole album you know i love the speed of it especially the i just yeah. the speed of the guitar that I, I love that it just doesn't relent all the way through okay so we've gone through all of the songs so we've got two things left to do i've got one is we're going to pick the song that's going to go on the Def Leppard playlist from side two and then secondly if you would like to I would give you the opportunity to give your Jerry Springer four for the day closing thoughts on the Euphoria album if you have one but don't feel any pressure we've got a choice of six songs that we have to pick so just go through those six songs again I'm just banging stuff all over the place here we've got 21st century Girl, I'm just, I'm not getting involved. They're not going to bully me anymore by making me say that stupid title. To be alive, disintegrate, guilty, day after day, kings of oblivion. Okay. Carolyn, which song would you pick to go on the Def Leppard ultimate Def Leppard playlist? Easy for me, it's to be alive. And we may disagree, we can talk about it, but to be alive. Um, that's it for me. And actually what happens is having, if you go with my choice of to be alive, it makes um, me feel better about promises being right before it, because you have these two songs from this album that are quite different. Um, so I think it's uh, not only is it an amazing song um, and shows some of the breath of the band, but yeah, it would be a nice foil to promises. So I plead my case for to be alive. Case excellently pleaded and noted, Sakis. Uh, without any uh, second thought, it's guilty. It's my favorite song of side B, my second favorite song from the whole album. So yeah, it's guilty. Okay, if you had a second choice, what would it be? And Carolyn, I'll ask you in a minute what your second choice would be. As you can see, I'm, I'm starting to to pave the way to compromise and love. So, Sakis, um, what would your second choice be? Day after day. Day after day would be his second choice. Carolyn, what would your second choice be? Oh, really hard, really hard um, between uh, day after day and guilty. So one of those would be my second choice. Hey, Johnny. Oh, so I'd have to go with To Be Alive. On this one, I think it's <laughs> uh, obviously yeah. I love guilty, and guilty would be my second choice, honestly. And day after day would be my third. Uh, but I don't know. I just I love the first time I heard to be alive. It really hit me, and uh, I don't know. It was the lyrical, the lyrical content, the whole melody, everything about it just just drove me nuts about the first time I heard it, and it still resonates with me right now. Uh, you know, and, and I think that's why I, I, cho I choose to be alive. It's also, I don't know if you know this, but this is the most, the third most played song 
off the album and Spotify. The first one being Promises, right. obviously. The second one being Paper Sun. And then To Be Alive has 1,200,000, which is the third most played song off the album in, on Spotify, at least. I did not know that. That is very interesting. So, yeah. So, to summarize, then, I think pretty much if you took anything, listening to you, and I would agree, if you took anything from To Be Alive, Guilty, Day After Day, I think they're the three standout songs on side two. In the interest of consistency, I went by numbers last time in terms of, you know, whatever song it was. What's, what did we go for? Promises got Promises, two, yeah. Promises got two votes last time. Um, and this time, To Be Alive got two votes. So, we are going to go with to be alive and they're nice different types of songs so to be alive it is right then okay sakis have you got any closing thoughts on the euphoria album that you would like to adorn our listeners ears with first of all let me say that i thank you all three of you for having me here and uh, listening to my you know stuff <laughs> the first things that come to mind is what carol said uh, about uh, day after day I wish they, the boys would play at least a couple of songs from Euphoria. Uh, it's a great album. They should pay more attention to it. And then, you know, they should follow uh, Bruce Springsteen's kind of formula to balance the set list. Yes, they, of course, they have a huge body of work with, especially from Hysteria and Pyromania. They will focus on those two huge albums. But they should include at least one song, obscure song from for us, you know, the Die Hard fans, it's yeah. like Bruce Springsteen does in his concerts, where he includes at least 20 obscure <laughs> songs in his four-hour uh, concert. You know? yes. um, and then so the second thing that comes to mind, and I have to, I, I want to thank you again for that, is this uh, diversity of the album. I always had it subconsciously that Euphoric was a diverse album, but Upon speaking with you guys, I clarify more about this aspect of the album, you know. It's the funk element, the hard rock element, uh, you know, the uh, pop element with It's Only Love, which I don't like, but yeah. And uh, we have this twin guitar thing with, uh, you know, the hard rocking twin guitar thing that reminds me of Maiden and Wishbone Ash and stuff like that. So yeah, and it has... Promises and guilty. So yeah, it's the last. If you think about it, it's the last great classic leopard sounding album. You know, uh, which uh, we have albums later on, which have this quality of the leopard, the classic quality of the leopard. You know, like Diamond Star Helios has. It's take what you want. And, but in its entirety, only we have in Euphoria the last true. Def Leppard album, the true, great sounding, huge Leopard sound. Okay, so yeah, I love Euphoria. And Euphoria loves you, Sakis. Carolyn? I think Sakis <laughs> is really on to something because, you know, at a Springsteen concert, fans go and hold up signs and he'll just point and play it. Why don't we have Leopard do that? That would be fabulous. And we can all go with our little day after day sign. That sounds great to me. Uh, yes, I would also like to thank everyone. I had a tremendous time revisiting this album and going into depth in it. Um, I love its diversity and it just has so much to offer. So yes, I wish that um, not only would the band um, play more uh, songs from it live, but I think all fans should um, go back and look at this album again. I think sometimes it gets kind of washed over. You know, people are 
listening to the brand new things and people are hearkening back to the the mm. classics, but there's a lot here um, for us all to enjoy. I agree entirely. And then Johnny, you get the final word, no pressure to say something profound and poignant and something that means will just improve everybody's day once this podcast ends. Off you go. <laughs> okay, that not not no pressure on that one. <laughs> uh, I I I think uh, this album in particular is. I agree with all your point of view. I completely agree, and I think this is an album that could be performed in its entirety. It could be. I mean, it's that strong. I mean, I would love to listen to this whole thing like. Hysteria or Pyromania live would be, you know, uh, it has it has every uh, song for every kind of taste and everything, you know. So I think it would be interesting to hear that. And obviously, I'd love to hear more songs from this album live. And of course, I want to thank you guys. This has uh, been really, really cool. And I I've loved going back to this album, and uh, I I loved listening to all of it, you know, and kind of like reanalyzing and just. Really noticing that this album is very, it goes on under a lot of people's radars. And now it's, I've, it's gone up in my, in my, in my top albums, you know, a little bit, not just because we've gone through it, but it really is. I've tried, I've learned to appreciate it a lot more. And I hope that people that are listening to us do take the chance to listen to it also again and say, oh, this is actually, as Saki said also, this is a really big sounding album with the classic leopard sound and everything. And, and I don't know. Thank you. Thank you guys. Thank you for, for, for this experience. It's been great. And thanks, Neil. You, you're, you're always doing a marvelous job of bringing us together and, you know, going through these albums. It's, it's great. Thanks. I will not accept your compliments on that note. Myself, Sakis, Carolyn. <laughs> on that note, Sakis, <laughs> Carolyn, Johnny and myself, we are going to the Eagle and Child car park now to fight to the death. The rest of you, take it easy and enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs>